Hello, and welcome to the Harvard Kennedy School Policy Cast, an ongoing conversation about public policy, governance, and global issues. I'm your host, Matt Cadwallader, and joining us today is Nicholas Burns, a career United States diplomat who, among his many posts, has served as Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs, U.S. Permanent Representative to NATO, and U.S. Ambassador to Greece. Today, he is Professor of the Practice of Diplomacy and International Politics here at Harvard Kennedy School. Professor Burns, it's great to have you on the PolicyCast today. Thank you very much. So I'd like to speak a little bit about the recent attacks in Libya and Egypt, as well as the subsequent protests that have spread across the Arab world. But before we do, I want to give our listeners a bit of background about you. You started in the Foreign Service in the early 80s, is that right? That's right. And you rose to end up becoming the third-ranking official in the State Department? Yes, when I was Undersecretary for Political Affairs uh, for Secretary Condi Rice. What were you doing as Undersecretary for Political Affairs? That, that, that title doesn't uh, fully explain, I don't think, the well, full it's, role. Uh, it's the third-ranking position uh, in the State Department after the Secretary of State and the Deputy Secretary of State. Uh, when I was there, I was the highest-ranking uh, career uh, Foreign Service official, career diplomat. And um, the Undersecretary has got a terrific portfolio. It's the world. So I was, um, I was involved in issues from A to Z, from our relations with Russia and Brazil and India, uh, to the Iran nuclear negotiations, to the India civil nuclear negotiations, to the recognition of Kosovo. So it was to coordinate our, our diplomatic policy on a daily basis and to make sure that um, all the various parts of the State Department were moving in the right direction, hopefully in an effective direction, and being involved in very important negotiations on issues that were central to U.S. foreign policy. When you heard about what had happened in Libya, um, the attacks that killed four U.S. personnel, including the ambassador. What went through your mind? It's devastating news. Uh, I did not know Ambassador Stevens well. I'd met him, but uh, lots of friends who knew him very well and had worked with him closely. And he and his three colleagues were all exemplary diplomats. They were in a tough place. They were in Libya just after the elections. Um, they were doing the work that our country wanted them to do, to promote democracy there, to help the Libyan government to move forward, to resist the lure of extremism, because that, we think, is a one-way ticket to failure. Um, and it was just so devastating and tragic to hear that they had been killed and to see uh, on our televisions these terrible demonstrations and attacks on our embassies throughout the Arab world over the last week or so. Hard to explain. You can't justify it. You can never justify terrorism. There's no excuse for it. And it's now our uh, uh, obligation to oppose them. Uh, the people who are attacking our embassies obviously secure our embassies and, and, and hopefully help these moderate governments to survive because they are important for the future of the Middle East. So ostensibly these protests were started by a film made by someone in California. You know, I was on Facebook uh, last night, and I have a couple of friends who are Muslims. They live in Iraq and Indonesia, and both of them, they don't even know each other, had expressed this, a similar feeling of humiliation about the video that was produced and didn't quite make the connection between the United States' fundamental right to free expression uh, and what had transpired in the video. and. I'm wondering how the U.S. can best tell the rest of the world, especially countries that don't have that, why it's important. Well, you know, I think it is sometimes difficult for people who live in authoritarian societies or societies without a democratic tradition to understand 
uh, our Bill of Rights and our Constitution. But First Amendment rights, the freedom of speech, is central to the American experience and to the life of the American people. We can never compromise on it. And so uh, everybody has a right to free speech and to freedom of expression. The people who made that film in California have a right to make it. Um, but that doesn't mean we have to agree with them. There are other American principles, too. And one of the most time-honored that goes back all the way to the founding of our country is respect for other people's religions. And so I thought it was appropriate last week when both President Obama and Secretary Clinton said two things. They said, we obviously will not and cannot and should not abridge the right of freedom of speech, but we um, firmly reject, um, and these are my words, the vile and hateful um, language of religious intolerance. And I think Secretary Clinton's statement said that you know, we don't support the intentional efforts of a group of people, the people in California, to abridge and denigrate the religious rights of others. The Prophet Muhammad is, of course, central to the Islamic faith. One-seventh of humanity are Muslims. A billion people are Muslims. And um, as you know, um, Muslims revere the Prophet Muhammad, and therefore to denigrate him in the most objectionable and crude way uh, is a great offense to them. And I think uh, as Americans, we can believe in freedom of speech, but we don't have to stand with the people who have said such hateful things. In fact, I think they deserve to be criticized, these filmmakers in California, as they have been throughout the last seven days. So how do we relate that to the people in these countries? You know, I think we just, you're not going to convince everybody. I think that the uh, certainly the governments of the region understand the United States government had nothing to do with this film. Secretary Clinton repeated that every day last week. And I think, I would think even a great majority of people in most of these countries who know a little bit about the United States and uh, would understand that this is not something the United States uh, stands for or its people stand for. But there are maybe uh, some people in those countries who want to believe the worst about us. And of course, now you see the terrorist groups and the extremist actors uh, essentially um, lying about this. So Sheikh Nasrallah, who's the head of Hezbollah in Lebanon, he said over the weekend that the United States government had sponsored the film, which is, of course, he knows it's untrue. Mm. It is untrue. And yet he says it to, for his own political advantage and to excite his own followers. And that is, um, that's a vile and hypocritical thing for him to do. So I think there's been a divide since the original attacks and the original protests in Egypt. Uh, across the Arab world, we've seen protests, some with uh, governments that you know are not do not share the same interests with the United States, and other governments which are more friendly, including Libya. Egypt. In Libya and Egypt, yeah. yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Well, it is a cruel irony, if, uh, very much a cruel irony, that Ambassador Stevens was, was murdered in Libya because uh, he helped to liberate Libya from uh, 42 years of dictatorship of Muammar al-Qaddafi. And in public opinion poll after poll, the Libyan people are pro-American. They responded very positively to the NATO military intervention that helped them to secure their freedom. Ambassador Stevens himself, by all accounts, was a very popular individual, person, because he not only talked to Libyan officials, he talked to people from all walks of life. He got out, he walked in the streets, and, and he was obviously a very effective diplomat. So it's very tragic that he died under these circumstances when clearly the vast majority of Libyans would never have wanted our consulate to be attacked, would not support that kind of action. And it was, I thought, um, 
telling that the Libyan government, as soon as this happened, came out with the most clear, unequivocal statement of apology to the United States and to the American people, which was the right thing for them to do, but they did it. Contrast that with the, the Egyptian government. For the first two years, uh, days excuse me, of this crisis, the Egyptian government tried to have it both ways. They were, they were not apologetic uh, in any meaningful way to the United States. They tried to um, you know, uh, continue with some of the statements they'd made that we would find objectionable until President Obama called for President Mohamed Morsi of the Egyptian government and said, we need you to support us. We need you to support our embassy and consulate. You need, we need, you need to, to, to protect it. And we need to hear from you that you're with us. And it, it was only then that the Egyptian government began to speak in any kind of um, effective way about this crisis. So you mentioned before about the Obama and Clinton uh, statements rejecting the video that was kind of at the heart of it. Um, an early statement that um, kind of made the news, it became a political football, um, was a statement put out by the American embassy in yes. Egypt in Cairo. Yes. Um, I was wondering what goes behind that communication. There was some talk about uh, how it wasn't a, an approved message from Washington at the time. How do those embassies reach out and communicate with their host countries? Well, you know, it's. Uh, you, I think it's important to put yourself in the shoes of the people in our embassy. Uh, we can go Monday in our embassy in Cairo. They knew a demonstration was coming. They knew that there was a great public furor over this California film. They sent the they evacuated the embassy, sent the staff home, which was the right thing to do, and they and they issued a statement, which was not perfect. It wasn't as tightly reasoned as you'd want a Supreme Court brief to be on First Amendment rights, and yet it said that the United States government had nothing to do with the video and and did not stand with the people who made it, and in fact rejected their values. And um, I understand why they put that out. You, embassies and consulates, given time changes, time differences, can not always check with Washington and seek Washington's permission. In fact, when I was in the State Department, when I was Under Secretary of State, one of the leaders of the State Department, we encouraged ambassadors and consul generals, leaders of our consulates, to act on their own, to make their best decisions, to consult us when they had to on very important issues to seek permission. But sometimes they had to act. And you can s imagine the situation. You're inside an embassy. A, a big crowd is bearing down in the embassy. They are threatening to attack. You issue a statement designed to blunt the attack not designed so much to play a role in American politics. And so I would, as President Obama said, I'd cut them a lot of slack. I understand what they were trying to do. It wasn't perfect. I, you know, None of us would have written the statement if we'd had days or weeks to think about it, but they didn't have days or weeks. So I don't want to be a Monday morning quarterback and criticize my former colleagues in the American Foreign Service when I know that they were under the greatest pressure that a human being can be under. Someone is coming to threaten you and threaten the place where you work. That's the situation they face. And I, I think our political leadership ought to give them a break. And uh, I don't think it's proper for anybody uh, to attack them. I think we ought to rally behind our diplomats and support them. Lastly, I want to talk a little bit about the future. Um, we've seen these kinds of protests before, famously with the uh, Danish cartoon. I, oh, several years ago, yes. Yes. Um, do you think it'll play out much the same way, or will it die out? How, how? It's hard to say. I mean, I think Americans should understand uh, about this two things. One is there is still a great degree of anti-Americanism, unfortunately, uh, in the Middle East. It's mistaken. People, because they don't have access to free information, they live in societies where they're getting their information maybe from a single source, a biased source. They have an untrue 
picture of who we Americans are. So anti-Americanism exists. We've got to struggle against it. But second, I, I, I tend to think, as many others have said, that this whole episode over the last week is more about these Arab countries themselves than it is about us. We're just simply the pretext for some of these attacks. In Tunisia, Libya, and Egypt, moderate political parties won the elections and have taken power through the ballot box. The more extremist right-wing conservative parties lost. They're now the parties and individuals who are fomenting these uh, demonstrations, or in the case of Benghazi, perhaps even leading some of the attacks against us. And they're doing it to embarrass their own governments, the Libyan, Tunisian, or Egyptian governments, more so than even embarrassing the United States. And so it's a very complex situation. We have to draw the right conclusions from this. In my judgment, it would be a mistake for us to say, we're now going to cut aid or reduce it entirely to Tunisia, Egypt, and Libya because there have been demonstrations and there have been a deadly attack in Tunisia. I think that's the wrong answer. We need to stay in the fight. We need to support these reformist governments. We hope they are the future of the Middle East, not these extremist forces who would take the Middle East back several centuries. And so there was a proposal, some proposals in our Congress to cut aid. I, I would hope that they could be rejected. And I, the Obama approach, uh, President Obama's approach, which is to maintain American engagement and American assistance, I think that makes the best sense for us. Well, Professor Burns, thank you so much for being on the Policy Cast. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be with you. You've been listening to Policy Cast, a production of Harvard Kennedy School. More information can be found at hkspolicycast.org.